After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I am your host today, Becky Shrimpton, and with me is my co-host and weirdly guest, Cameron mm-hmm. Maitland. Hey. Yeah. Blowing your mind. Giving you the two for <laughs> It's a little bit of everything, but you've got something very important to talk about, which I'm very excited to talk <laughs> about now. We also have another guest. Who we got? We got Alicia Fletcher, a previous guest, friend of the show, producer of the upcoming uh, television show, A Year in Film. Hi. Hi. Welcome back to the show, Alicia. Thank you. Thank you. We loved your insights on Nell Shipman. That was a fantastic episode that a lot of people listened to and a lot of people mm. liked. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great to have you back on. And it's excellent to talk to two people who are incredibly insightful about film, about a film they made about insight into film or a television series <laughs> about insight into film. It's great. That's my that's my transition. Just go with All it. Right, yeah. We've talked about this on the show before, but uh, Alicia, why don't you walk us through what the show is and uh, how people can see it? Sure. So uh, the show is called A Year in Film, and uh, it's episodic. The, each episode's about 26 to 28 minutes long. It will broadcast on our channel, Hollywood Suite, and also be available through Amazon Prime on Hollywood Suite. It kind of matches some of our programming in that it's a deep dive into a particular year in film history and history more generally. Um, all of our channels on Hollywood Suite are kind of branded throughout the decades. So we have a 70s channel, an 80s channel, a 90s channel, and a 2000s. So there's four episodes that match each of those decades. First up, we have 1978, then we have 1983, 92, and 2007. And it really kind of works through how um, history was reflected by films and then vice versa, how films really reflected history. And we get to interview a lot of fun people, including you. You're so good on the show. Um, A lot of curators and film critics, but also just really, really knowledgeable people about pop culture and film, giving sort of their personal takes on what was important for them that year. Sometimes, you know, they weren't even born that year. So they're kind of reflecting on how those films have came to be for them. And it's both, you know, you can imagine it's a lot of the blockbusters, films we've all heard of, the really iconic films. But what's really lovely about this and what I like the most, I think, is it's also a deep dive into some forgotten gems, some films that, while being incredibly popular that year, just disappeared. And when you, you know, look at them again 40 years or 30 years later, you just don't understand how everyone hasn't seen it. I think one of the big surprises for me doing the show was when you guys sent out the list of the years and then I went on Wikipedia and looked at what films were released that year just in the North American market alone and was like oh man, every year is a really good year in film. How do you go about picking the best? So how did you guys go about picking which films would be featured in the actual series? Cam and I co-wrote the four episodes, and I'm not going to be deceptive here. We definitely picked years in some ways based around what our favorites are. But more so, we, we want to be committed to Canadian content. And there are certain years that you know were banner years for Canadian film. For instance, 1983, with the release of Videodrome 
alone, although there's quite a few others too, was such an important year for the Canadian industry. And then outside of that, you know, it really does come down to how we can represent Canadian titles. Unfortunately, I mean, as much as I want to say we can get, we would do any film we want, we can't. We have to do sort of the background research to figure out, okay, what studio has the copyright or what independent, you know, distributor has the copyright? Can we actually license it? for the show. Can we get it on Hollywood Suite if it's not already? Uh, and so there's a lot of like a timing issue and a copyright issue and a legal issue and, and all of these things that kind of sometimes can strike out a film that you desperately want on the show and other times reveal something we never considered come up and be like, well, this is actually available to Canada. And we would watch it and be like, wait, this is great. We would never have put this in the show had it not just dropped in our laps. What were some of the big surprises for both of you? I watched a lot. Some of the big surprises didn't make the show because it was too deep a cut too that niche. no one had seen. <laughs> I guess like one that I think we might have talked about a bit on the podcast, but never done an episode on is Base Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, <laughs> oh, which is a very weird 3D Canadian movie. We talk about it a bit on the 1983 episode. It's, yeah, it's not good, but it's, like, charming, and it's a very high-budget Canadian movie, and it has, like, at the very least, Michael Ironside is, like, a weird robot man that I really enjoy. But I also think going back to a lot of movies is very pleasant. I find it all pretty interesting, so I don't know that I have a specific one that I super blew my mind. What about you, Alicia? I had never seen The Silent Partner. Mm. I'd heard of The Silent Partner, and I know it had screened at TIFF a couple of times in the last maybe five or six years, but it was very under the radar. And up until I think even like a month before we started working with it, it had not really been on a, a good home media edition. So that film was interesting because, I mean, of course, it's, it's actually a Canadian film. It's 1978. It stars Elliot Gould and uh, Christopher Plummer famously was shot in the Eaton Center, the mall here in Toronto, within a few months of its opening. So it's a real time capsule of dirty late 70s Toronto. I was interested in the film just for those perspectives. But when I watched it, I was really blown away by the suspense and how subversive it is. And it's an excellent, excellent, well-made thriller. Um, and it was one of those films that I could not for the life of me find. Like, it, I could not find who owned it. I could find who owned it for every country except for Canada. Hmm. So I knew that Studio Canal in France had worldwide rights with the exception of Quebec and the rest of Canada. Because often rights are divided up. Quebec is treated as, as its own country for some reason when it comes to Canadian rights. It took, I think, four or five months of tracking down the producer of the film and finding out that he had at the time of production always decided to retain the Canadian rights. So finding it was like that was like the big get for me. I was so happy because I just couldn't picture talking about the film in this show without having the clips of, you know, Santa Claus, a bank robber dressed as Santa Claus running up the escalator of the Eaton Center knocking over people. It's like we have to have that as one of the cornerstones of the episode. It's actually your partner, Brendan, who introduced us to that film. He talked about it on the show, and it's a great episode because uh, he's obviously very insightful about it. And I'm so glad it made the cut of the show because it's one of those movies that until you know about it, you don't know how great it is. You're like, Elliot yeah. Gould battles Christopher Plummer. And of course, with it now getting a bigger Blu-ray and a digital release, hopefully more people will see it. Yeah, I think so. Like we, you know, Kino did the release and they were kind of who I was working with and they were nice enough to really, really 
push on the producer to return my calls. Uh, his name is Joel B. Michaels, really interesting person who, American, like many uh, directors who came to Toronto in the 70s to make films, uh, they weren't Canadian. That that The success of that film and the critical success and the audience success really put Canada as a filming location, Toronto specifically, on the map. Because um, part of that, you know, you have Cronenberg films like Shivers and uh, I think Rabbit had come out by that point. But they were very, very niche. And this was kind of the moment where you could have high production values, not have it be tied specifically to a genre and sort of make a Hollywood film in Toronto. Yeah, it feels very high budget, even though it's fairly like there's small action happening with big stakes. Yeah. One of the reasons I really enjoyed doing the show was that you guys sent out a list of movies that like potentially you might want to have a look at these ones just as a heads Mm -hmm. up. And one of the Canadian ones you guys had on it was a film called Blood and Guts from 1978, which I believe previous guest Paul Korup uh, brought to you guys, which is about an underground wrestling troupe that like (laughs) travels across Ontario. Micheline Langteau is in it. She's fantastic. She plays a character called Lucky Brown. And finding that, I was like, where did this come from? And it led me down the whole like rabbit hole of what Paul Lynch's work was like, how he was mm-hmm. all about like weird itinerants going around Southern Ontario, including one that was about Rip Torn uh, going throughout <laughs> Southern Ontario, being a grifter, which is American, unfortunately, so we won't talk about it on the podcast. Just this incredible, all of a sudden this whole world opened up of, if I haven't heard about this one, what rabbit holes does this now lead me to that I can now find other yeah. things? And the 70s is so ripe for revival right now because there's so much good mm-hmm. stuff that's gritty and dark and very much to our tastes. I think that's a really good point. Um, I would say out of the four episodes, maybe we're not supposed to say what our favorite one is. But <laughs> <laughs> mine is mine is definitely 1978. Um, and I think a lot of that is because of the discoveries that kind of came out of it, doing the research and, and doing the writing. You know, there were films that I had already seen, like Girlfriends by Claudia Veal. It takes on so much more meaning when you get to share it with people. You know, I'd seen it a few times. It had not actually shown in Toronto in a very long time. I had to go to Lisbon, Portugal to see a Swedish (laughs) subtitled print of Girlfriends because it's sort of notoriously difficult to get out of the Warner archive. So having that, like including that on the show, such an important female filmmaker, Claudia Veal, who's only really now being reappraised because um, her career didn't really take off. This is a film that won the first People's Choice Award at TIFF. So it has an interesting Toronto Canadian history. That's been just so wonderful, like combining the ones that you know you love and really getting to like love them more. But then, like you say, finding these black hole films that you're just like, how and why? And I would say the biggest one for Cam and I, no, I'm not going to speak for him. Okay. It's for me. Uh, in 1992, we feature a film called Munchie. Yeah, this is just you. <laughs> um, I still haven't seen Munchie. I don't know if what? I'm real. No, I'm not going to watch that movie. I love Munchie. So Munchie was sort of in the vein of like Critters and Ghoulies, which were in the vein of Gremlins. So it's like an offshoot of an offshoot of these sort of creature films for kids. Dom DeLuise voicing a very poorly made puppet who kind of wears like a greaser jacket at a certain point. And I forced people to watch it. Um, Well, you had, you had a buddy in, and unfortunately we didn't manage to keep his many stories of it, but Justin DeClue, former guest of the podcast also was like obsessed with Munchie as a kid, but like, he has like a terrified relationship with yes. Munchie where Munchie really traumatized him as a kid. Yeah. It's a fun film. It's directed by Jim Wynorski, who will probably be well known to some people of this yeah. listeners of this uh, podcast. If you've seen the film 
Papatopoulos yes. uh, that follows his career. Or Chopping Molly, directed yeah. Chopping Molly in 86. Really schlocky but lovely director. And this film is utterly ridiculous. One of the um, interviews we feature in it is with Jimmy Weaver. He's uh, He works for a distributor called uh, Film Movement. He, he's really great about kind of covering off art house films and a lot of queer cinema. But I just thought, for the hell of it, why don't I assign him Munchie? And so he had a party, like a, a viewing party, to watch it with all his friends. And they were all, you know, had wine flowing and stuff. He didn't because he was on a month of sobriety. It was like January, something like that. And it was like, he was like so shattered yeah. <laughs> by it. And like his recollections of like having to watch it sober while all of his friends are dying of laughter with these horrible like puppet segments. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of great films in 1992 and we talk about them, but Munchie's also in there. Uh, yeah, that is a, that, I mean, it's a discovery of sorts. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Of sorts. Yeah. Cam, anyone who follows your iCram account mm. knows the deep dives you go yeah. on. Sure. So was he's there any, amazing. Isn't he, though? So yeah. just how you guys find this stuff, like talking about friend of the show, Justin DeClue, watching his Twitter feed or his Instagram, and he's like, I just found this obscure thing from 1992 yeah. put out by Troma, this DVD, and you're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> how? Yeah. Where? Where? Do you, how do you find the time? I'm always thoroughly impressed by, by stuff like that. So what did you do that was different from your usual fact-finding missions? Like, how did you go about doing the research on this one. I think that a big thing, for instance, I, I guess I'll speak to a Canadian perspective because of the podcast, but I found a very interesting and informative thing was merely going through what won the awards. Yeah. Like if you look at even what won is sometimes kind of lost. I mean, we kind of touched on it, but there's a lot of movies, especially from the 70s and 80s, but even the 90s that are Canadian that are pretty gone. But if there are some resources, because you can see what people considered, you know, the best acting performances and the best mm -hmm. producing. And I found a lot that way. But then also we just straight up did like uh, I sometimes did the entire box office because we also wanted bombs. Mm -hmm. We wanted oddities. So I think the bombs are quite interesting. We've we've incorporated most of those every year, Absolutely. like the, the worst grossing movie. And sometimes it's a whole mistake. Sometimes it's a quirk. Uh, one that didn't make the cut merely because nobody watched it because it's not really available was 1983 had a Pirates of Penzance movie. That is, <laughs> is that the Angela Lansbury? Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. Angela Lansbury. It's got... Uh, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. It's the only... Uh, what's her face? Blue Bayou, that singer. It's her only on-screen role. Um, and it's amazing. Linda Ronstadt. Linda Ronstadt, yeah. And it's, and it's amazing, but... It was distributed, it was the first ever essentially like day and date home and movie release. And essentially it was su successfully boycotted by all theaters in the 1980s. So this is a thing that barely aired anywhere. Yeah. And it was, that one was just honestly because I asked people what their favorite movies from every year was. And one guy who super loved musical theater was like, this is hyper underseen and very good. And I think, you know, Cam, you touched on this. We did a lot of research, mm -hmm. and, you know, it was very thorough and we're very proud of ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, like relying on just our our social network, our friends, you know, people that are patrons of my film series, mm -hmm. you give them a year and invariably they are going to come up with something you've never heard of. Yeah. And it could be a VHS that they had as a kid from 1992. Like, and it ends up being, that's how, kind of how we built our spider web for yeah. each episode of, okay, here's the like nucleus of 
you know, Superman and Saturday Night Fever. Like everyone knows these films, but then you start going and branching out and it's like, there's the silent partner. There's Debbie does Dallas. There's, you know, thank God it's Friday, which is the other disco film. uh, That's not Saturday Night Fever starring Jeff Goldblum. We love very dearly. And I mean, it's, it's sometimes just stupid fact. Like, we have Debbie Does Dallas simply because I remember Debbie Does Dallas is public domain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we could use as much of it as we wanted. So that seemed very worthwhile talking about. So it's like a balance of finding interesting things and finding popular things and then finding things we can use. I feel like the show will be memorable for the things like Munchie. Yeah. Because there's there's a couple shows like this that are like, you know, CNN just had one that was like more decade based. And, you know, it's very it's like an hour of of Spielberg talking about why Schindler's List is important, (laughs) which is great. But we all remember Schindler's List. And ultimately, we want people to be inspired to just do what we did and start searching for films they've never heard of and going into those deep dives and tuning into Hollywood Suite and watching some of the titles that, you know, our amazing programming team were able to license out of this show. That's been, it's been, this has also been like the most fun project I've ever worked on in my life and been paid for. (laughs) Like it's, you know, it's really been just so in line with everything (laughs) I wanted my career to be. Alicia kind of enjoys torturing herself with terrible nightmare movies too, I think. I do. Yeah, (laughs) no, I do. We're already working on season two and uh, wow, there's (laughs) there's been some... (laughs) Some... She's really been beat down this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, I got to do my due diligence. If I'm going <laughs> to criticize it on the show, I have to have watched every minute of it. Because yeah. I think that's something I really appreciated about doing the show as well, is you guys weren't just like, yeah, just puff up the movies, talk about what you love, because there no. is a bit of that. But there is also, think about it from this angle. Like, this is why it was contextually important. This is why, you know, it doesn't hold up now. This is, yeah. and so people can go back and revisit. And I think we can all credit television in general for saving a lot of these movies. Like, without Turner oh God, Classic yeah. Movies, we don't have It's a Wonderful Life becoming a Christmas classic. Channels like Hollywood Suite are finding these licensing for things that maybe have disappeared or someone's like oh I saw that when I was a kid I've always meant to watch that again and all of a sudden you can you can check it out again and shows like this are great for reminding you of that and bringing those back in as well as finding new favorites yeah which I I think hoping through this show that Munchie becomes one of the <laughs> canonical uh, 90s films sure. uh, Munchie is very easy to find we should say uh, yeah because yeah, it's yeah. Shout Factory it's it? Shout Factory it yeah. does provide it at least currently if you're listening to this when it broadcasts it is available for free and legally on Shout Factory's yeah, online like Shout viewing shoutfactory.tv or something and they were, we worked with Shout Factory they yeah. were absolutely lovely and very <laughs> confused as to why yeah. of all films I was yeah. paying the money for yeah. Munchie but uh, and uh, yeah to speak to our channel's quality of course Hollywood Suite is not going to show Munchie no, not yet. No, that's yet, that's yet. one that doesn't quite. Also, there's there was no HD file, oh, yeah, so it, it's just tragedy. not tragedy. It's not up not to our option. standards. Not an option. But maybe the show will then lead them to reassess. Sure, well they'll and, do a 4K restoration you know, of Munchie. We I've been speaking with Jim Wynorski, the director, in terms of some stuff we're going to do with him for season two, and. <laughs> Maybe I can convince them to do a full sure. 4K restoration. <laughs> I was going to say, aren't you a restorationist, Alicia? Yeah. Isn't this something you can do? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I want the one where all the lingerie models are trapped fighting a ghost. <laughs> Which one was that? I'll look it up. I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds familiar. We, we cut that <laughs> it's one. It's like Never Die or something. Yeah. I don't want to like characterize this show as having only like these bizarre films. I mean, we have incredible interviews surrounding like Terrence Malick and Days of Heaven, which is so nice because when this airs, you know, Malick's new film, which is getting, you know, obviously a ton of buzz, uh, 
for Oscars is uh, going to be out in theaters. So it's like a nice kind of synergy of 40 years later, just the full circle to a director's career. Yeah. And, and also worth noting that you worked very hard. A cool thing for the bigger movies is quite often we have clips of contemporaneous interviews with people yeah. like John Travolta. You'll see a little like stuff from red carpets. I think a lot of that is very cool. That was a thing I was very into to begin with. And I'm very glad that we got, which is just people in the era talking about the movies and kind of you yeah. get to see what they were like at that time. Little baby Tom Cruise oh being God. very excited about his career. <laughs> I think we have three separate interviews with Tom Cruise from 1983 because he made four films that year. That was like his year. It's like All the Right Moves. Uh, what's the one Risky with business. Rebecca Dormey? Risky, Risky Business. business. Yeah. Then there's The Outsiders. And then there is... Oh, the one that we always forget where he has to go Losing the it. Losing, Losing it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Technically Canadian, but uh, yeah. the rights are kind of in hell. Yeah, they are. Um, and it's, yeah, I think the balance of, you know, we have amazing interviews like with you and Paul Corrupt and a, a variety of local and, and less than local uh, film critics but it is nice to break it up with actual archival content. Uh, and we relied very heavily on an archive. All the interviews of a man named Brian Linehan, who had a, a TV show called City Lights in the 70s and 80s um, that aired, I believe, on City TV. And he was sort of like the preeminent celebrity interviewer of that era. Uh, and so contacting his estate and going through and seeing, you know, this company in LA that bought all his masters and his outtakes. I think that John Travolta one's cool. I actually really like it. Yeah. Is it Linehan with uh, Tim Burton and uh, Michael Keaton? Oh yeah, yeah. on Batman. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think something like Michael Keaton's contact lens yeah. falls out during the interview. They're, like, they're just like, doing like goofing around. In a hotel room at TIFF. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, I love that stuff. And there's a, our, there's a lot of like vintage commercials yes. that we've included. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just... <laughs> McDonald's pizza, isn't that it? No, uh, we You cut... didn't get that yet? You got a McDonald's oh, no, something, No, we did. It's in there. McDonald's pizza's yeah. in there, but we, we cut the logo for obvious yes. reasons. But um, good stuff that I, I like. It's funny because we're like saying that we we love the episodes that we're discovering more, but you can tell that most of our experts were the most typed for 1992 yes, because it was like everyone there. had such a nostalgia for it. Yeah. Even even the older people, you know, because they were just <laughs> still had nostalgia. Yeah, it was like the early part of their careers, for yeah. instance, and they had, you know, stories about interviewing Barbara Streisand and it's just like oh my god like you it's just crazy to hear those stories it was not McDonald's pizza no. it was chicken McNuggets oh yeah in 1983 chicken McNuggets <laughs> were intro were introduced and I was very sure. um wrapped up in this as a pop culture like milestone so yeah I don't know I, I mean it was the year I was born to 83 which you might chicken McNuggets. <laughs> yeah it just like it explains everything and it's just such a catchy like McNuggets song yes it seems really weird but honestly if you I, I kind of use mcdonald's as a benchmark for okay what was going on and mm. so if you look at the years like 78 is like i think the year they introduced a happy meal yeah 83 something. is mcnuggets 92 is mcdonald's pizza 2007 was something like the mcrib or some yeah weird, maybe the mclobster i can't remember something. what it was but it just kind of i don't know <laughs> why that would anchor so much of like how i was visualizing those they years. put out so many ads i think that's part of yeah, it a couple yeah. uh, a few corporations we've toy ads are all good because oh, yeah, there's like yeah. a billion of them the ads are fun the ads are one of the most fun things yeah researching like the top selling toy of that particular year mm -hmm. kind of gave us also a like a just an insight into like cabbage yeah. patch doll is obviously 1983 that's when you yeah. had all the riots where like people <laughs> were like trampling each other yeah. to get cabbage patches i think 1992 was bop it 
Do you remember Bop It? Yes, there was Bop yeah, It. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mostly think that I hope it gets people excited to watch old movies, which is what it's made for. The plus side, like we were saying, our, our programming team also did a great job where if you're watching it day of, it's every Sunday night at nine in December, there's premiere or a movie that we talk about right afterwards. Perfect one is 1978. That episode ends with a really nice bit on Days of Heaven. And then immediately after, you can watch Days of Heaven if yeah, you want. Yeah, like a new new restoration of yeah. Days of Heaven, which should be pretty so gorgeous. I feel like that's kind of the most exciting. There's a lot of movies, whether it's remembering why you like a movie or watching a movie again. We, we are in the lucky position with this job to be able to watch a lot of old movies again. And I think a lot of people don't get a chance to, especially with streaming services the way they are. Yeah. So uh, I, I hope it's just a way that people can discover new movies or, or reconsider why movies that are older are still important. Yeah, I do think there's a lot of people who shy away from older films, yeah. you know. I mean, how many movies do you think have been made in the history of film? Like it's, oh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. nutty. Like you don't yeah. like you could stop making films right now and never in a I lifetime. Never watch them all, yeah. you know, I love that. So, um, you know, my biggest like kind of fault is that I don't watch a lot of contemporary film. Mm. I mean, I do. I, I do when I have to. But like I am that person who's watching weird stuff in the 70s, pre-code films from the early 30s and watching silent films. So this is like my dream is to have people. <laughs> dive into that as well yeah fantastic well thank you so much for both of your guys's time uh do you guys want to do a quick little plug for your events and everything else you do <laughs> sure i mean the important stuff for this i guess is to say that in december hollywood suite if you have bell or rogers in canada will be free <laughs> so uh, you can watch a year in film if you already have the service and have access to hs go our streaming platform or vod it'll be on there on the first and otherwise, it's on the channels uh, on dis- starting on December 8th, and then it's every Sunday at 9 p.m. Um, also, if you don't have cable at all, if you're one of those cool people, it's on Amazon Prime channels. Uh, you can get Hollywood Suite through that, and uh, they offer at any time a 30-day free trial. So you can sign up and check out a year in film that way. Otherwise, for me, I don't know, at CamFest on Twitter. Uh, yeah, Alicia, you have things that actually happen. I It's not confirmed yet, so I'm not sure whether I should say it, but I am going to work on a 35mm screening of Days of Heaven at the Royal Cinema. Mm. So uh, you could watch the episode of A Year in Film, and it <laughs> talks about Days of Heaven, and then actually yeah. come and see it in on the big screen and mimic sort of what some of the critics were talking about seeing it the first time in 78. <laughs> But I, I will let you know if I can get that 100% firmed sure. up by Monday. But you have a Ladies of Burlesque coming? Yeah, I have. I'm doing, um, so it's, it's the holiday season. And, you know, what's more holiday than burlesque? So I'm doing a film I really love, Bell, Book, and Candle, which stars Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart. And it was released the same year as Vertigo as kind of like a strange capitalization mm. on their stardom in that film. And it's, uh, it's about witches. And it's really cute. Yeah. And it's a great, like, Christmas Halloween mashup. That's December 18th. I always feel like uh, Bewitched really ripped it off. It totally did. Yeah, yeah. If you love Bewitched, this is like the original Bewitched for yeah. sure. Even like the like actress the that plays the mom. Bewitched. The actress that plays the mom in Bewitched is oh, witch really? in this. Yeah. I forget. Yeah. Well, everybody just put praise on everything else. I think that's what we've really learned from a year yeah. film. <laughs> <Yeah>. Everything <laughs> yes, just yes. takes from everything else. Yeah, but everyone's in, in a competition. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all the best stuff, right? Like all the best yeah. stuff gets appropriated just to make stuff better and better. And eventually you get the Marvel Cin- Cinematic Universe and everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Well, thank you again so much to both of you for being on the show. It's very appreciated, and hopefully people check out a year in film.
Thanks so much, Becky. I can't wait to see. You're going to see yourself on TV a lot. That's pretty exciting. You already do, but (laughs) (laughs) I mostly hear myself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's exciting. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.